Amen. So we do pray for the nation of Papua New Guinea this morning. Lord, would you bring hope and restoration to that nation with many peoples come to know you as the Savior of the world. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now for this morning's scripture reading, we're in Acts chapter 16. I encourage you to follow along either in your pew Bible or in the insert in your bulletin this morning. The reading will be Acts 16, beginning in verse 25, going to verse 34. This is the word of the Lord. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, trembling with fear, and he fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is the word of the Lord. As we begin this morning in Acts 16, I want to ask you the question, where does church happen? Where does, where does church happen? Where does church happen? This is a question a lot of us began to ask in the last year and a half, because there was a time where church could not happen in this building or in buildings across the country and the world. And so for the first time, many people began to really ask the question, and at least in the Western world, where can church happen? If we can't be in the building, where can church actually take place? And so many of you who are watching online are worshiping and having church with us from a distance at home. And many of you are here in the building with us. And in this passage in Acts this morning, we see the church in a couple of different places. And most notably from what I just read, we see the church in a jail. In the, in the city of Philippi, in the middle of the night, at midnight, specifically. And so this morning, as we, as we look at this text, Acts 16, we're going to be looking at the church as a praying and singing people. As I said at the beginning of the service today, those two things are really important for the church. If we don't pray and sing, we're actually missing out something crucial as God's gathered people, as those who have been brought together. And so just remember, as we're going through the book of Acts, we're looking at God's spirit on the move. God is on the move. He is a God who who moves outwardly into the world, pursuing the nations, pursuing peoples, and then drawing them into himself, gathering them together 
so that they may give him glory because he's worthy of it. And so oftentimes as a church, it can feel passive because we come and we sit and we gather and then we go back out. But as we see in Acts, the church actually moves with God that as he moves towards us into the world, we actually get caught up in his movement and then we move out with him. And that's what Paul and his friends are doing in Acts 16. Remember last week when Alan was preaching, he was looking at Acts 15 where the church came together in an assembly and in a setting to talk through some tough questions about how do Gentiles and those who are non-Jewish people come into the church? What, what kind of things do they have to do? And you remember they wrote a letter and they said, Okay, you have to do a couple of things that are really important, but we're not going to make you do the Jewish rite of circumcision because it's not essential. And so as the church goes back out at the end of of chapter 15, you see the group split. And there's actually a little bit of a disagreement about who should go with whom. And so Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. Paul ends up taking this man Silas with him. And that's where Silas was in the passage that you read. It's because he's with Paul now. And then Barnabas takes with him John called Mark. And that's what the end of chapter 15 says. But both of these, these two groups, these two twosomes, go out into the world. And they're taking the good news of Christ with them out into various places around the Mediterranean Sea, the Roman Empire. So this week's sermon on prayers and songs, these, these two realities are so important if you're reading your Bible. So if you... Start at the beginning of Genesis, if you finish out in the book of Revelation, all the way through, you'll see huge themes of praying and singing. God's people are praying and singing people. The Psalms, for instance, combine the two beautifully. And we see that actually most prayers can also be songs. And most songs, Christian songs, can be recited as prayers. They were, the Psalms were written as prayers that were also meant to be sung. And that's why you see at the top of many of the Psalms, it says for the choir master or to put with stringed instruments or to sing together. And so there's over 400 references to singing in the Bible and at least 50 commands, direct commands to sing in the Bible. So singing is a huge theme across the scriptures, and I know you all love to sing because I heard your voices at the beginning of the service. And I think there's actually, a, as much as I love Javier and love Joshua when he's able to fill in, there is a little hidden blessing this morning. And there was a little bit of an excitement in my soul this morning because I knew we could just come before the Lord in simplicity and hear one another's voices and sing. And you know what? Paul and Silas and Timothy, who we're going to be introduced to in just a little bit, when they're sitting in that jail cell in Philippi at midnight, they didn't have a piano. They didn't have an organ. They didn't have a violin or a banjo or any other kind of music, musical instrument you liked. They had their heart and they had their voice and they gave praise to God. An amazing thing happened. Prayer also is a huge theme in the Bible too, right? You could look throughout the whole scriptures and see examples of prayer throughout the Bible. And again, you don't need anything for prayer, but your heart and the God that you're talking to. 
Psalm 138 combines this idea of praying and singing really beautifully. It says this, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. Again, praying and singing comes from the heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. I bow down towards your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Do you see that? He says, I give thanks to you, O Lord, with my whole heart. What is that? Giving thanks with your whole heart. That's a prayer. It's a prayer of thankfulness, of gratitude. And then he says, before the gods, I sing your praise. Giving thanks and singing, they just flow in and out of each other. Some of you may, may feel like me sometimes and say, well, I don't really have a great singing voice. Or I don't, I don't like to hear other people, or hear, have other people hear my singing because I, I, I get off pitch or I don't, I don't know how to read music or whatever. And I say to you, sing, sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord a new song because it's your prayer to God. Let your heart overflow with gladness and with thanksgiving, with gratitude and sing to the Lord out of the purity of your heart. It's a beautiful expression of your heart before God. So today we're going to zoom in to Paul and Silas and Timothy and their experience of singing and praying as the church in this Philippian jail cell. But we're also going to look to see what what brought them to that place of singing. What was it that led up to that? And then what happened because of their singing and praying? Because you and I are going to sing a couple of songs at the end of the service today, a cappella, beautifully, with our own voices. And then we're going to walk out that door. And we're going to see what happens because of our prayers and our singing. The idea of today is that prayer and singing uniquely awakens our soul. And it awakens our soul away from giving up and towards giving thanks. There's something about singing that that is a language that words or just normal uh, conversation or writing can't express. Singing actually takes us from a, a, a desire to give up because of a tough circumstance and actually makes us want to give thanks. It changes our whole our whole perspective. It gives us gratitude in a world of cynicism. It gives us awakening in a world of slumber, singing in a world of shouting, prayer in a world of power. That's what prayer and singing can do. So first, I want to ask the question, where are songs and prayers formed? Where do these songs come from? So if you were to take the blue hymnal this morning and Going to flip through all 300 or 400 hymns, each of those hymns have a story behind them. Somewhere where they came from, from that person's name at the bottom of the page, something was happening in that person's life that allowed them to put those words to paper, and then a composer came along and put, put music to those words, and in it became a song, became a hymn. So where are songs and prayers formed? And I'm going to say... The answer for each of us, including Paul and Silas and Timothy this morning, is all of our prayers and songs are formed on the path of listening. The path of listening. And so our life is a path of listening, and we have one whole long life where we listen throughout our whole life and songs emerge, but also we have very specific seasons in each of our lives where we listen more intently, and then from that, a song or a prayer emerges. And friends, 
the last 18 months has been one of those seasons where I think you're going to remember what you were feeling and praying and singing during this time of pandemic. This has been a unique time in your life for all of us. And certainly there's been others maybe in your past and there will be others in the future. But what song or prayer has been forming in you during this season? The famous composer Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, when he was writing a song, when he was writing, uh, composing something to be performed, he always wrote something at the very top of his manuscripts. He wrote in Latin, Jesu Juva, which if you know Latin, which I don't, I looked it up, it, it means Jesus, help. That's what he wrote on the top of his manuscripts, almost saying, Lord, this is my stuff on paper, but help me, Jesus. Help this to be something for others that it's been to me. That's, and that's humility. And as, as we come in together to think about what songs or prayers are forming in our own life, may we come with the same kind of humility and say, Lord, in this season, help. This is my cry. This is my song before you. Help it to be a, a song of, of praise and a song of purity before you. Songs and prayers form in us well before they are sung aloud. And prayers form in us well before we can put words to them. They, they form from the heart up. They're in the deepest part of who we are, and then they kind of billow up in us. It takes deep intentionality to listen to your soul. And that's why the, the, uh, the scriptures talk so much about keeping your heart with all vigilance. Because from there spring the, the the springs of life, flow the springs of life. That's where your prayer and your song emerges from, is from your heart. And so let's look at Paul. I mentioned to you about the division that happens at the end of chapter 15. So verses 36 to 41 of chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas get into a squabble, and it seems to be pretty significant. It says, it doesn't say that they sinned, so I don't think they they were sinning by, by squabbling, but clearly the Lord was directing them to, to go separate ways for a short period of time. It says later in other books that they actually reconcile and come back together, so that's good. But for the rest of Acts, you don't see Paul and Barnabas together on mission anymore. And so Paul decides to take Silas with him, and then Barnabas takes John called Mark with him, like I said earlier. And so, again, that's where their process in this section begins. It begins with a split. Again, think how painful that actually was for them. That was probably a painful experience to separate from a good friend, someone that they had been together with for a while in the church of Antioch. They decided actually it was best for them to go separate ways. What are they hearing from the Lord? What are they listening to? What song is forming as they split? Now let's move into chapter 16. I'm going to go kind of briskly through these passages just, just to kind of show you the path that Paul and Silas are on. So we don't hear from Barnabas and John Mark in this section. So we're going to focus just on Paul and Silas. So they, it says in verse six, uh, chapter 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came to Derbe and Lystra, and they found a disciple there named Timothy, who later on has a book of the Bible named after him, because that's how important he became to Paul. He was an apprentice of Paul, someone, a young man that Paul was pouring into to teach him the faith. And so it kind of tells Timothy's beautiful story here. And it says that Timothy became a believer and that in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. So 
Timothy gets brought along kind of like as a, as a little junior missionary of some sorts. He's kind of the next generation that Paul is pouring into. And it says here that he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were with him in those places. Remember, that's kind of interesting because last week we said they didn't have to be. But in this situation, he said it was probably best to do so because there's going to be a lot of Jews where we're going. And you don't want to be an offense to them. So next week, we're going to look at the idea of cultural contextualizing, of how do you, how do you bridge the gap with someone to bring the good news to them. Sometimes it means doing something that isn't necessary, but something that is, is, a, is an extension of love so as not to burn a bridge. And so that's what he does here with Timothy. And so verse 4, it says they went their way through the cities. And, and verse 5, it says the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers. So that was their original plan, was to, take Tim, to, to go to Timothy, to find him, and I think to bring him along with him. So as of right now, the mission is going well. One for one, checkbox, great, things are going well. And the reason I point that out is because everything else that happens leading up to them going to jail is not on the agenda. And how often does your life feel like that too, where you start your day with a checklist and then it gets sidetracked really quickly or your, your week or your year or your, a season of your life or maybe your whole life feels like it's just gotten off track and you're like, Lord, how am I supposed to sing or pray songs of gratitude when all these inconvenient things keep happening? So let me just tell you what's happening here. So their original plan was to meet Timothy. They, they got that. The next section here, look at verse 7. It says, when they came up to Mysia, this town, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Like, roadblock, you're not allowed to go there. So they say, okay, we'll go somewhere else. How does that affect your prayer? How does that affect your song? All right, go on to verses 9 and 10. It says, then a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. All right, so there's a clearer sign. Jesus says, don't go here. Here's a vision, go to Macedonia. So they see a clear sign and they start heading that direction. So verses 11 and 12, it says they set sail from Troas and they went through these other cities. And in verse 12, they got to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia in the Roman colony. And they remained there for some days. All right, so it seemed to be back on track. We got the vision, we see the guy, we're going there. Philippi's in Macedonia, we're back on track. What prayer song is emerging at that point? They've arrived at their place, there they are. It says they stay there for a few days and they're taking some rest. They get to the Sabbath day, verse 13, and it was Paul's custom on the Sabbath day to go to the synagogue to meet with the Jewish people, like he said to Timothy earlier. We're going to meet a lot of Jewish people. So they're going to go to the synagogue. But what happens here, you'll see, is it says, verse 13, so we went outside the gate uh, to the riverside. They went down to a river where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who had come together. And they may be saying, why are they going to the riverside on the day of the Sabbath? Shouldn't they be going to the synagogue? That's the question I asked when I was reading this. Where's the synagogue? Is it down by the river? Well, I was reading about this, and they said that you have to have at least 10 people for a synagogue to form. And they said probably in Philippi, there weren't 10 people who could put together a formal synagogue. So they said what happened was each, each Sabbath, people just would gather by the riverside, 
usually women, and they just would sit there as, as the faithful people. And so they went down there and they took a rest there uh, where they supposed there was a place of prayer, verse 13. And they sat down and they just talked to the women there. And they had this wonderful encounter with Lydia, uh, who we meet about here, uh, and they talked to these women. And so again, they're going to find the men at the synagogue, but instead they encounter these women down by the riverside. And they allow themselves to just talk to them and get to know them. Again, it's an unexpected turn in a day that for some people would be hard to make that adjustment. Paul and Silas didn't seem to really care much. They seemed to just go with the flow. And the Lord opened the heart of Lydia, this woman in verse 14, to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And in verse 15, she was baptized. On the way to the synagogue, they meet this woman and she's baptized right there that day at the riverside. And she invites them to come stay at their house. And guess where Paul and Silas never make that day? They never make it to Lydia's house to stay the night. Why? Because trouble emerges in verse 16 and 17. Verse 16, as they were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. Sounds a little bit like our city too. There's some things happening in Philippi where these women or these people have these, this gift of, of, of prophesying or fortune-telling or tell people what's going to happen. And they made a lot of money off of it. And Paul has this encounter with this woman, another unexpected encounter on the way to the place of prayer. And he commands her in verse 18. He says he got greatly annoyed, verse 18. He turned to the Spirit and he says, I command you in the name of, the, of, of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her at that very hour. What prayer song is forming at that point? That's a big thing to write down in your journal. Wow, praise God, you're over all things. Just imagine the song that maybe is forming in, in Paul now. He's excited. This prayer of thanksgiving to God that he is greater than all these other spiritual forces. And then immediately next, verse 19 when, the, when her owners saw that their hope of profit or gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. It says they beat them, they scolded them, and they threw them into prison, not just to any prison, but into the inner cell of the prison, deeply into the prison. Verse 24, they're put into the inner prison and fastened their feet into the stocks. Because of economics. Because by them taking out this spirit of divination from this woman, who was just an accidental meeting, right? At least how we see it. The Holy Spirit seems to be urging them that way. Again, they never made it to the synagogue. They never really made it to their destination necessarily. They never made it to Lydia's house to stay the night, accepting her hospitality. Instead, they're now going to be spending the night in this Philippian jail cell. What prayer song is forming. For you and I, our path of life throughout the unique ups and downs, we are on a path that is inviting us to listen to what the Spirit is saying to us. At each of those steps along the path, we are being invited to listen. And a prayer and a song is forming in us that eventually just gets to a place where it bubbles up to a place where it has to come out. And it's either going to come out as a 
as an accusation to God of a prayer of why, how could you let this happen? Where are you? Remember, we've looked at those Psalms, Psalm 42, Psalm 46, Psalm 91. Or it's going to come out as a song of praise. But it's going to come out. Your prayer and your song will come out because you turn, you turn for help in your most desperate moments and people turn to God for help. So that's where prayers and songs are formed, or on paths of listening like that. And each of us can find those places in our life. Now the question is, for what times are those songs and prayers formed? And I'm going to say it's for the, the silence of suffering. When you find yourself, I mean, they find themselves in a literal jail cell, in the inner cell Their legs are locked into the floor. They can't move, and it's silent. For you and your suffering, it may be a non-literal jail, but it may be something that is making you to experience the silence of God or the silence of blessing. And that's where your prayers and songs come. That's what they bubble up for. That's where they are meant to come out. Think of all the the stories you've read. I know many of you are well-read on, on Christians throughout history who have experienced times in prison or times in jail or times where they feel like they're exiled. Think about the, the prayers and the songs of the faith that have emerged from places like that. And you and I have those same prayers and songs that form too. For your midnight hour, that's where your songs and prayers are formed for. That's the time. What's midnight like? Anybody been up at midnight recently? It's dark. It was wet last night. It's silent. It's uncertain. It's foreboding. What are you usually doing at midnight? You're either sleeping, you're getting into trouble. My mom said nothing good happens after 11 p.m. Or you're restlessly rolling around trying to get to sleep. And guess what? It's the same in jail. For Paul and Silas and Timothy, midnight in jail is the same, except even darker, even more silent, even less certainty, no promise for what the next day will hold. What do people do at midnight in jails? Sleeping? That's probably a good time to try to break out. If you're going to try to break out, maybe midnight would be a good time. Or you allow the darkness to slip you into despair. And yet, what do Paul and Silas and Timothy do at midnight in their jail cell? There's a song that you may remember, and I invite you to sing it with me if you know it. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, a well, within my soul. Spring up, a well, and make me whole. Spring up, a well, and give to me that life abundantly. That's what Paul and Silas and Timothy choose to do at their midnight hour. That prayer and those songs that have been emerging through their suffering, through their unexpected path, they bubble up to this point where at midnight in the Philippian jail cell, they start to sing and pray to God. And they didn't have a piano. 
They didn't have a hymnal. They were singing things from their heart and from their soul that had bubbled up to this point where they couldn't hold it in anymore. They said, we're not going to sleep. We're going to sing. We're not going to complain. We're going to pray. We're not going to break out. We're going to be with God right here. We're going to have church right here. And guess who's listening? The prisoners were listening to them. Verse 25. Imagine them leaning up against their solid stone walls. They're in jail for who knows what. And they're listening to these three men sing to God hymns and praying praying to him from their heart. What songs were they singing? I have no idea. (laughs) I don't know what songs early Christians sang. Probably the Psalms. But we also know that Paul wrote a letter later to the church in Philippi called Philippians. And there's a chapter in Philippians, chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, that many scholars think was actually written originally as a hymn. Chapter 2, verses 6 to 11, I encourage you to look it up at some point, but it's called the Christ Hymn. And it talks about Christ's humiliation by emptying himself of his godness to become a human, to take on the very form of a servant, it says. And it says that he died the death, a humiliating death, on the cross, so that he might be exalted, as that God might exalt him and give him the name above every name, that every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That letter comes later. Paul writes that later from another prison in Rome, which we'll see him at later in Acts. But maybe, just maybe, This is where that song started to form in Paul's heart. Wouldn't that be cool? Here he is in a Philippian jail, and maybe it's in that midnight hour that that humiliation of Christ, as he looks at his own humiliation, sitting in a cold, dark jail cell, maybe that's where Philippians 2, 6 to 11, the Christ hymn, first was written in his heart, that later made its way to paper for the Philippian church, when he says, remember, don't lose heart, Christ died for you, and now he's exalted. So if you're suffering, take heart, because Christ suffered too. You too will be delivered. So too, our song prayers are also for when other people are listening too. So when you and I are singing or praying, it's not just for our own soul, but we have other prisoners who are listening around us as well. Those who are locked in spiritual chains, who are listening to the songs and the prayers of the faithful, you and me for hope. And our songs transform people's lives. This is the last point of the sermon. How does the formation of songs and prayers in us affect others? It gives the world the language of the unimaginable, is what I'm going to say. The language of the unimaginable. Here are three guys singing and praying in in a jail cell which these other prisoners, probably when they started hearing them singing, they were saying, it's unimaginable that these people could have joy in a circumstance like this. But what emerges in the later parts of this chapter, which is the, cha- the, the verses that I read uh, earlier before the sermon, is that when the earthquake comes right after this, and all the prisoners have the opportunity to run free and to be physically, literally set free from the prison, They choose not to. That's unimaginable to me. They have the opportunity to run out the door, and yet it says 
They all stayed. Paul says, jailer, we're all here. You don't need to harm yourself. The jailer is about to end his life because he knew the shame that was about to come to him or the brutality from Rome that was about to come to him for letting prisoners out. And Paul says, we're all here. Not just me, Silas, and Timothy, but the whole, it says, there's no indication that any of the prisoners left here. Why? Something about those hymns and those prayers compelled those prisoners to stay. It gave them an integrity to stay because they knew something deeper. They had this sense of a God who is more sovereignly controlling their life than any jail cell or shackles could hold them down to. As fast as those shackles were holding them to the ground, the God of the ages was holding their soul fast. And so they stayed, trusting in the God that could have just let them go right then. He would actually more so deliver them more deeply, giving them unimaginable freedom into life, unimaginable hope for life. And that carries right over to the jailer himself. And so when the jailer cries out to Paul and Silas and Timothy, sirs, what must I do to be saved? I think he's probably in that moment asking mostly, how do I save myself from this precarious situation that I'm in? The jail cells are broken. You guys can leave. You didn't. But how do I, how do I be saved? How do I fix this? I think he's asking mostly for a, a physical uh, situation. I don't think he's asking the spiritual question. But Paul gives him the deeper spiritual answer, which is, jailer, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And not just you, but you and all your household. It's the most famous question in the New Testament, maybe. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's the question that every pastor longs to hear from somebody. Pastor, what must I do to be saved? Let me tell you. But what happens here is a transformation of not just the prisoners, but the jailer himself. It says he took them, he washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. He was washed with the blood of Christ at that moment. And it says he rejoiced in verse 34 because he and his entire household believed in God. It says they shared a meal together. And it says they were filled with joy, unimaginable joy. New normals that come into life for us. The rest of the chapter finishes by saying that the very next day that they were all let go from prison because it was kind of a a trial that, was, that, was, that had no basis to it. They were Roman citizens. They were treated unfairly. And all that comes to fruition the very next day. So they're let go. And back out into the world they go. God actually does let them go freely. But friends, as we continue on in the book of Acts, this is not the last visit to jail that Paul has. In fact, most of the rest of the story of Acts is Paul in jail. And so for you and I, as our story emerges, as we sing songs and prayers in the midnight hour for us, and God does deliver us and brings us back into greener pastures. Just know, too, that those songs also are meant to prepare us for the next suffering that comes, for the next midnight hour that comes, because it will come again. And those songs and prayers will just go deeper and deeper into your soul so that that well of life will spring up in your soul again that leads to abundant life. And one day we will be in eternity where those songs will be made complete and made full. Paul says, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 and 17, 
Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I said earlier how Bach wrote Jesus' help at the, at the top of his manuscripts. Do you know what he wrote at the bottom of every manuscript? Soli Deo Gloria. All glory to God. Jesus, help me with this song. And after it's sung, all glory to you. May that be our prayer as well. As we go out into our world, that prayers and singing would awaken our soul away from giving up when the midnight hour comes, but prepare us and give us joy for giving thanks. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing two more songs together. Lord, may we have gratitude and joy on our lips. May the songs and prayers forming in us uh, well up straight from your Holy Spirit and know that Jesus is the one who has saved us for a beautiful life that we can share uh, through song and prayers to a witnessing world around us. Lord, bless our songs now. In Jesus' name, amen.